Hey everybody, this is part one of a two-part episode. Don't forget to check out the second half, which is available now. And welcome to another episode of, uh, of What the Frack from B&O Pipeco Services. It's a special day for us today. Uh, we got a little bit different uh, um, participants in this in this podcast. Uh, Kayla Hello. Mathis. Hello. <laughs> I was about to call I you Olenberg. Yeah, the old name, Eulenfeld. Eulenfeld. Olenberg is close enough. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so Kayla is joining us and she's going to be kind of leading this podcast because we have some special guests in the in the studio today. We have Leslie Byer, who's the president of PISA, Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, and Peggy Helford, who's the director of membership services. Welcome. Thanks. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Leslie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you've been doing the last few few years or so? With PISA. Great. Um, first of all, thanks again uh, for the opportunity to to come out and join the What the Frack podcast. <laughs> Love the name. Uh, my kids were totally jazzed when oh, I told them. Good. That. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> They're like, no, what does it's, that mean? It Mom? really does. Yeah, it goes towards the kids. Yeah, the kids like it. Uh, so, yeah, they immediately Googled it. Um, but anyway, so yes, I'm the president of Petroleum Equipment Services Association. I've been in that role for about five years. Um, we're the National Trade Association association for oilfield and you know equipment servicing companies we work with about 200 companies in the space and um, we really focus on three different areas in the way that we that we support our companies train elevate and network so unlike most other trade associations we do a ton of workforce development a lot of executive coaching um, leadership training things like that for our member companies elevate is how we talk about government affairs um, we do a significant amount of advocacy on behalf mm-hmm. of the sector um, and then Network is, you know, just your run of the mill, getting out in front of your customers, um, you know, making those connections that facilitate business at the mm-hmm. end of the day. So I've been there for about five years. Uh, before that, uh, I worked with the National Association of Manufacturers um, and very heavily in oil and gas, mainly with operators um, in that role. Um, and uh, before that, really, my the entirety of my professional career was spent in Washington, D.C. Uh, in government affairs. I worked um, for Kay Bailey Hutchison in the U.S. Senate. I did some work at the State Department. Um, I was uh, at the White House for both um, terms of the Bush administration, Bush mm-hmm. 43, um, and, and then also at the Department of Housing. Wow. So bounced around a that little bit. quite a career, yeah. <laughs> In D.C. You um, did that all before you turned 29. Huh? Exactly, <laughs> because I'm still 32. Now. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I can compress a lot. Yeah. Wow. Well, we really appreciate y'all coming in today. I think uh, we're, and Kayla, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of an interesting subject, uh, a little bit going outside the box here, but we have a, in our industry, we have a a problem uh, from the standpoint of we have a lot of attrition and how are we going to attract more people into our industry? And specifically, we want to talk about how do we attract the entire populace of the U.S., the workforce of the U.S., how do we get all the people of the United States wanting to work in our industry because let's call call it like it is. Unfortunately, the oil and gas industry in the if you in the in the popular media it has kind of an, a reputation of being a dirty industry, which we have to work on. And, and PISA does a lot of work to help that. So, and it's also considered a, unfortunately a male dominated industry. We need that's those are the things that we need to work on. 
And so I'd like, I think we'd like to talk a little bit about the latter a little bit more today, which is how do we get past being this kind of male dominated industry? Absolutely. And, you know, we see that it's about 15% of the oil and gas workforce is female, which mm. is such a minimal amount. It's a very low number. We want to grow that. And it's how do we evolve? How do we attract more women? Um, how do we attract, just make it a culture in general? One thing I, I read up on was that it's more about making it a value rather than a priority. So it's putting it within your everyday life, your culture. It's not just a quick thing that we mm -hmm. have to check the boxes and go from there. And I know you have a lot to speak on on this, Leslie, because you're very familiar. Um, you've done talks like this. You've written quite a few articles and, and you have been well established. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks. Yeah. You know, I do have some thoughts on that. And um, I think at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't necessarily just go back to gender diversity. Yes, we I think the oil and gas industry there there is that image there um, that we're working to change. But the way that I see that we're going to be able to change it um, is about culture mm -hmm. um, and diversity of all kinds. But really looking, taking a good look at our industry and adopting those practices that promote uh, the kind of culture that's going to help us attract the workforce uh, tomorrow. I mean, there is no industry more exciting um, than oil and gas right now and the challenges that we face. And, you know, the fact that our industry, you know, combats global energy poverty, we mm -hmm. lift people out of poverty in developing nations, um, you know, all of these things that with the energy transition that's coming, you know, more to natural gas, you know, we need kind of the brightest talent mm -hmm. and we're not going to be able to recruit them unless we address those culture issues. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, you just, like you said, we need the brightest talent to come into this industry. And unfortunately a very large percentage of the brightest talent is probably not really interested in coming into this industry. They're not, but it's because they have, I think, you know, a, a tainted view of what mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. And it's so funny how, you know, tech and those companies can really attract that demographic, but really we are tech, you know, this yeah. is all about high level technology right. um, that has applications across everyone's lives. Um, you know, the technology that that is part of our industry is really the main thing that we should be talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think the elements are there, um, that, that, that talent would want to see. It's really just, um, the perception of where we are as an industry. And I think, you know, you do see, uh, the industries that are pulling that talent. If, you know, it's not hard, you see the articles about everything that they do, um, you know, on site out at Facebook, you know, there's a woodworking shop, you know, you need to leave your desk and, you know, work out some aggression for a minute. <laughs> You walk down to woodworking and build some cabinets, That's awesome. you know, um, you know, free food for everybody, all yeah. those things. Free ballet. Yes. <laughs> you can drop off your dry cleaning there. These things are not practical in Houston, Texas, right. yep, that's right. <laughs> um, but there is a culture of, you know, really being inclusive and supporting work-life balance, mm -hmm. which, and I hate to call it work-life balance, kind of work-life integration. Yeah, that's um, a good way you know, as myself, I'm, I'm a single parent. I've got mm -hmm. three kids. Um, there are times in the day when I'm at school, you know, working on PTA stuff mm -hmm. and then I'll get home at night and, you know, get some work done. And just that, that flexibility in the workflow is critical. And there are not a lot of our companies 
I think that are focused right now on giving flexible, you know, flex time, whether that's work from home mm-hmm. or, you know, every other Friday, how that works. Um, parental leave. That's another, you know, most companies will give at least 10 weeks for maternity leave. Mm-hmm. But we found in this study that I'll talk about later um, that we did at PISA, you know, hardly any of our companies are giving just parental leave. Yeah, well, I'm embarrassed to say we don't give parental leave. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's it's an interesting thing to discuss, yeah. you know, but that as a mom who's had three babies, yeah. there is nothing more helpful than having your partner there oh, right there imagine. in the beginning. Um, and so it, these are culture and family issues. They're not women's issues mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, and I think that there are, you know, aspects of a flexible work style that if we had those and they were more widely accepted and um, facilitated, that we would be able to attract a little more well, it's, time. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's, it's also in, in, in our, in the vocabulary that we use. Cause I just was thinking about what you were saying with, with parental leave. I, I, in this industry, I've never, quite frankly, I've never heard parental mm-hmm. leave. I like the idea of it, but we always hear about maternity leave, maternity mm-hmm. leave. So it's always like you're saying you're, you're making everything a, a, a women's issue, which quite frankly is probably counterproductive, I, so to speak. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. And I think it needs to be done in a way that doesn't leave out the white male who's totally qualified yeah. for his job. Yeah. You know, there are times that, and I see this across the board with some of our members that are leaders and they're like, look, I feel like I'm part of the problem. When I come to a diversity and inclusion talk, you know, I feel like people are talking to me like I'm the problem. Yeah. Really. I just want to be helpful. Yeah. And, and, and that's the case. You know, we need to learn how to get some more diversity at higher levels, but really to grow that from the bottom up, mm-hmm. not just necessarily check the box and, you know, put some, you know, people in at, at top level positions that may or may not be the right people for the job. Really developing talent from the bottom up that's diverse talent yeah. so that the right person goes in the right job and that we're not excluding, you know, quite frankly, the white men that are already here that, you know, are doing a great job and want to help with this. Well, I'll give you, I'll just ask you a question. Um, I remember when I was getting out of university and, and I, in in the engineering school, when the, all the companies would come to recruit, they put all this list of companies up there and, and you could go up there and sign up and, and hopefully you got picked for an interview and whatnot. And so you'd see companies like Conoco and Shell and, you know, all gas companies in there would be like Ford and it was, you know, mechanical engineering. So yeah. there was a lot of, you know, and then there was, you know, Linux, HVAC, all those kinds of things. So if, uh, if there's a, if, if there's a girl that's coming out, a, a woman that's coming out of mechanical, mechanical engineering degree, what's the likelihood of her going to sign up for that oil and gas company Versus signing up for maybe the automotive industry versus signing up for a technology company. I think the, probably the last thing on her list is going to the oil and gas company. And that's probably a if she hasn't been exposed to the actual, you know, technical details of the industry before yeah. she graduates. Yeah. And, and that's hard to do because, I mean, there's I mean, if you, if you just go off what you hear in the in the media, it's, mm-hmm. this is a this isn't a very high tech right. industry. That's what it sounds like. It, uh-huh. it is, but it, it, you don't, you don't get that. So right. I think that's, I mean, I wish, I wish we could, I wish we could attract more uh, of that talent. I think we need to attract more mm-hmm. of that talent. I just don't know. I don't think we are. I know there are groups, I mean, and we fund a number of groups that are working to try and 
you know, promote just the geosciences in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at the middle school level, we support a STEM program out in the Permian. Um, it's a digital vocational program, oh, wow. middle school targeted, Odessa, Midland, you know, parts of New Mexico. And then, you know, we also support a petroleum academy program um, for high schools in Houston and one in Fort Worth. And then, you know, as there are programs like that targeted at that lower, you know, um, level in Mm -hmm. middle school and high school so that kids can start seeing this is what oil and gas is all about. But you're right. What they're hearing um, in the media is that, you know, oil and gas is going away. Right. Um, But that isn't the case. It's going to be a long time before we end, you know, the use of fossil fuels as a, you know, just a a fuel that can continue and is reliable and is affordable and that, you know, developing nations need as well as ours. Pulling people out of poverty. I mean, that's a big deal. It is. We don't talk about that enough. You're right. We don't. And again, I think you start to, you start to present that image as an industry. Then people start to think, well, I want to do some good for the world right Mm -hmm. now. They're thinking, well, if I go to working for an oil and gas company, I'm just, all I'm going to do is destroy the planet. That's what they're, they're thinking. And, so, and, yeah, that was ahead. an article I actually read the other day was that women, they tend to gear themselves and I don't want to speak for all women, but they gear themselves to look for something that's going to help the environment and do mm-hmm. whatnot. So you're, you know, to you're looking towards solar, environmental, anything that's going to help the industry. And what they don't realize is that we do that in our industry. And so I think it's also, you know, just educating these young adults in general, men and women, and that we can provide this. That's right. Kayla, you're right. Because you mentioned when we sat down, um, you know, that just talking about how women in general want to make a difference, but it really is. It's generational too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like the only Gen Xer, I feel like in every meeting. We did one of these on, on generations okay. and it was hard to find Gen Xer. I think it's I was the only, so only hard. <laughs> I think because of the downturn, you yeah. know, in the eighties, whatever, for whatever reason, there's like four Gen Xers in every meeting. Well, you know, I'm in, large I'm, meeting. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but when I was getting out of school, the only company that would that would hire me was a company that was oil and gas related. Yeah. <laughs> so you you just I didn't really want to get oil and gas, but I'm I'm happy I did. But, uh, I think people also went through that time frame of, and this goes to generation of when the market, the oil and gas industry is so up and down, and the market would go so bad, and mm-hmm. they just didn't think about how to develop over the next decade of oh yeah, you need to be hiring people younger women, men to keep your growth going. And that's where you get the Gen X. You have that huge gap. Mm -hmm. So then you have all these millennials coming in and they automatically think the oil and gas industry is no, just against female and it's dirty and all this stuff, because that's the reputation it's had for a long time. It's oil field trash is some of the names of events we go to. Well, and the media, media doesn't help and neither neither do governments. Our government is certainly, you know, you hear a lot about our, uh, how our government is, not exactly the most our, and ours is actually pretty friendly, but other governments are even more right about the oil and gas industry. Right. So. There are things you could say definitely about the government at the federal and the state yeah. level. Um well, let me ask you, so when you were so you were in Washington, DC. Yes. And and you and of course you're a you're a Texas girl, right? Yes. So, I'm from Lovett. Right. So <laughs> you knew about the oil and gas industry, but when you but probably a lot of people you're working with in Washington, mm-hmm. DC did not know a lot about it. So no. when you when when your friends from Washington D.C. now that you're in this business, do they look at you like you're crazy? <laughs> they, you know, it, it's funny. Did you, did you get did you get a lot of 
questions about why do you want to do this, Leslie? I didn't really, but you know, the nature of what I did when I was there, I was very involved, um, just, you know, in the campaigns and politics. Mm -hmm. And that is a 20 year old's job. Like there is a shelf life to traveling (laughs) full time, you know, in a different city every week. Uh, I I think, uh, I was in a different city every week for about four years. Oh goodness! There was a point where I didn't even have an apartment. I just had my stuff you know, in a storage unit. And we just went city to city to city to city. So, um, that, and and that became international then, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, people, we always laughed and joked and we were like, well, we're going to have to actually learn a skill after this, (laughs) you know, we're going to have to learn something about an industry. And so folks did, you know, fan out and and attempt to get into different levels of policy. Um, but I, I remember, you know, folks go into the department of energy at that time. And I thought, Oh, that's cool that they're learning about that. You know, I'm going to hang in and keep doing what I'm doing with the white house press corps because it's amazing. Um, but now that I'm in energy I think, Oh man, you know, I wish I would have maybe done that back then and, yeah. and had, you know, that life experience. But I will say the lessons that I learned professionally on the road with the White House or the campaign, um, those apply even today. Really? And yes. And so, um, you know, I, I, I feel happy about my background yeah. for sure. But it, it, it's interesting the way that you see you know, political people will fan out and take different roles later. Well, and in, in the role that you have now, I mean, all those life experiences you have, I mean, you, you definitely bring a unique perspective uh, to our industry, which I think is, is very important. And, and again, we, we certainly appreciate that, but I'm not trying to get off the subject here. I, uh, am I doing that? Kayla? No, you're I'm not. Off, <laughs> it's just a very, it's a very open subject. It ties into so many different things that you can't just focus. And that's our goal here is we don't want to focus directly on women. It's about. Yeah. Everything about, about our industry. And again, how do we, how do we attract more talent to the industry. Cause I, I just think it's, it's, there's, uh, I, I, it really worries me. Cause I mean, again, uh, and the position I'm in, I'm thinking about, you know, the succession planning and, mm-hmm. and what happens when this person retires and who's going to replace that. And, and, and we're lucky we have a lot of young, talented individuals. Um, and, and a lot of them, we've, we've get people that, uh, at a very young age in management positions in this company, which is, which is great. But there is a certain amount of experience that's uh, that's extraordinarily valuable if you've been in the business for a while. Yeah. And, and again, I, when I was younger, when I was a millennial's age, like in my 20s, <laughs> I didn't recognize that. I thought, you know, well, yeah. I can do exactly what that person can do that's, you know, 15 years old than me. Well, now that I'm a little bit older, I, I realize how much I didn't know. You know, I didn't I didn't right. know what I didn't know. And so so <laughs> the again, benefit of age. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. now we have all these people retiring and we don't have that experience. Uh-huh. And so and not only do we you know, we kind of talked a lot about attracting like the universities and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But really also, how are we going to attract people from different industries that are that do have experiences right. that, and get them into this industry? And again, I, I'm not really sure. We're, we're, I just don't think we're doing a, a, we're not giving it the old college try right. to the extent that we need. Well, we're missing out on half the workforce. Half the workforce. That's the thing. That's, that's 47% of the workforce is female. Yeah. And it's 15% in our industry. So yeah. for sure, this is the area of diversity that is, you know, most focused yeah. on gender is that we see how badly we're missing out there. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I think it gets back to those policies, you know, a more flexible uh, workflow is what 
what's going to attract a mom? You, you see, you know, the attrition, it, it just drops off, you know, right. kind of after, you know, most women have kids, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, harder to work. Yeah. And, There are companies that are taking steps, I think, you know, to put in those those policies that are going to keep it flexible and support, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that for women. But until we get there, we're going to keep losing people who ultimately, you know, take off to have a kid. And and then they'll think, well, I I can't go back, you know. But the fact of the matter is as a woman or as a man, like there will be a point that you have to reinvent yourself professionally at Mm -hmm. some point. I think we all have a story, you know, of how we've kind of had to, you know, pull ourselves up and be like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. You know, for me, when I moved to Houston, um, I wound up taking a job at a PR firm because my skills in knowing how to take a president of the United States and build, you know, a beautiful stage in Poland, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, those skills do not transfer to Houston, Texas. (laughs) And so I really had to figure out, okay, given what I know about collaboration between teams, you know, for me, my teams were the secret service, the white house staff, Mm -hmm the White House military office, you know, what, how can I take that collaboration, um, those skills and and apply them to, you know, a job in Houston. And and I was fortunate in trade associations, really, that's all about building coalitions and collaboration with, you know, kind of the government affairs piece and the corporate piece. And that was a good fit, but people do have to reinvent themselves professionally. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, women will, after they've been out for a few years, think, oh gosh, well, you know, I I can't go back, um, because there really aren't policies that support that. And so as, as we grow and, and kind of enact more policies, and if I can talk a little bit about some of the policies that we've Please discovered say, yeah. after um, the survey that we did, um, you know, that's something that could support bringing more women back in. It, it really is. Yeah. Real quickly. I, yeah. I, I think of a, I've got a little anecdote about that. Uh, we've got some good family friends um, of ours, of my wife's and my, mine. And uh, my wife has gotten to be good friends with, um, uh, this woman and I'm not going to name any names. I shouldn't, but, uh, but the, the husband, they, they were both in oil trading. One was working for BP. One was working for Amico. And the, of course they got the merge and then, and they got to know each other got married had kids and all that kind of stuff. So, but it was funny cause I was the husband, he's still kind of in oil trading uh-huh. and the, the, the woman, she's staying home with the kids. And I was talking to, we were talking to them about that. And I was asking uh, this woman, um, I'm trying to use a, use a name that won't give it away. But I was asking her, I said, so tell me about your career. And and the husband's like, she was, well, yeah, she was a lot better at this than I ever was. And and he was kind of talking about the talent and that she was a, a rising star yeah. and you know an up and comer and all that kind of stuff. And then she took some time off and and she didn't come back to the industry. And so, so it's, I was kind of joking about it. I said, yeah, so we traded her for you. Yeah. <laughs> the guy, you know, the, so he was, we were kind of laughing about that. But again, we lost, that was that a talent. big, we lost that talent because that, and, and part of it, a lot of it was because in, in that position, there wasn't that flexibility. Mm-hmm. It was, it's, it's a very, it was a very difficult, hard job to do mm-hmm. a lot, very time consuming. And, and again, she couldn't, it kind of came down to what are you going to sacrifice? Yeah. And so and Kayla, right. you've talked about this. We've had yeah. conversations about this. In the- yeah. And it's a, it's, it's a problem that is dealt with across the board. Children or not, whether you're taking care of sick parents or sick kids or whatever it is. But I mean, example, the other day I got a call from the daycare. My kid was thought to have hand, foot and mouth. So I had to leave that second to go pick her up. And thankfully I work for a company that is flexible. 
because I said, Hey, I got to work from home the rest of the day because she could, can't go back to daycare. Mm -hmm. And my husband who, you know, I can't, I don't want to say too much, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know if it was his choice or the company's choice or not. It's not quite that flexible for him. Yeah. So it, it wasn't just for me. It's like, he needs that flexibility too, to be able to, That's a good if point. I would have been in the middle of a podcast recording and I couldn't have gone to get her. Mm-hmm. Well, he needs to be able to up and leave too. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. I mean, I've worked at companies where, you know, if I, not when I was, I didn't have kids at the time, but I, I knew of people is like, well, right. you know, you're, where do you, what do you mean you're going to go get your kid? <laughs> we got a job to do here. Yeah. That, and that, yeah, that flexibility is certainly not, I don't think it's there as a whole in the, in our industry. I mean, I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Technology is mm-hmm. helping that. I mean, technology it, does help yeah. that, but it really is about culture. And I think a lot, we work with a lot of companies um, that will say to me privately, you know, we talk a lot about this, but they really want to see me in my desk all day. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And so. you have more of a respect for your employer when they give that mm-hmm. to you. You have a more of appreciation and you're more likely to come back to work. Right. Another thing I think that makes you have respect for your employer actually is, you know, another element that came out of the study was companies that provide training and education. You know, even if you think, okay, you know, you're making these decisions, um, about benefits at your company. You're like, I can't afford to let these people, there are some certain jobs you just got to be at the desk, you know, even just applying resources for training and education opportunities that helps that fosters loyalty, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are some of the other things that could be added to develop, you know, stronger culture, um, that will attract talent. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to part one. The second half is available and streaming now. 